Welcome to the Grasping Life Podcast. I'm your host, Lane Kimbrough. I just graduated from George Fox University, and I'm on a journey to become the absolute best version of myself, and it's inspired me to start this podcast to speak to exceptional people on all areas of life, mindset, purpose, faith, and so much more. I'm really excited you're here. In this season, I speak with eight stellar George Fox University 2020 graduates on their unique backgrounds, time at George Fox, mindset about life and faith, and how they're approaching the future. Thank you so much for joining us. In this episode, I speak with Lydia Ta. Lydia is a 2020 George Fox grad as a computer science major, and she's one of the most introspective yet kind-hearted people I know. We discuss the ways that growing up in a Taiwanese-American home has shaped her, inflection points in her life, discovering who she is, her faith, her job after school at Amazon, and much more. Just for reference, this was recorded at the beginning of quarantine. I hope you enjoy. All right, so I'm sitting here with Lydia Ta. Lydia, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, absolutely. My and, pleasure. <laughs> and I'm stoked to have you. So today, Lydia, I want to talk and I want to start out with your roots and where you grew up. And so okay. You, you weren't born in the U.S., right? I was born in the U.S. Born in the U.S. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Um, so my parents immigrated from Taiwan. Um, I want to say 10, 7 to 10 years before I was born. Um, so they immigrated here for education and then... Um, the three of us kids were born in the United States. Um, but we were brought up in a very tight-knit Chinese community. So it's hard for me to describe to other people what exactly my upbringing was like because I had a foot in two different worlds. So I'd interact with the outside world and everybody was American and white and they had their traditions and cultures. Thanksgiving was a big holiday that I always wanted to celebrate, but I had no idea what was going on. Um, but then my other foot was in this world where we spoke Mandarin at home. We ate Chinese food all the time. My friends all spoke Mandarin. Um, and for the first couple of years of my life, we celebrated like Chinese holidays and Chinese traditions. And then the older we got, the less my parents engaged in that culture. Uh, so I was kind of stuck in this limbo between these two different worlds that I grew up in, not really, not really knowing where I fit in or where I belonged. So that's kind of the, the vibe that I grew up with. Um, my parents are oddly not as traditional as most Chinese parents. I think often Chinese kids fit into the stereotype of, um, being very achievement oriented, like we were very defined by our grades and we need to become either a doctor or a lawyer. Um, my parents never pushed us quite in that direction. Um, I think my parents did a really good job of motivating us to do well for the sake of doing well, but never, never put the pressure on us to do something that we didn't want to do. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I think my parents were different from that, um, in that respect. Um, so I didn't grow up with that kind of pressure. So you saw all your friends have that pressure though? Yeah, I think so. Um, not specifically within like my close-knit friend group. I think we all um, did a fairly good job of like pursuing what we each wanted to. Um, but definitely in like the outer, like the greater Chinese community in Seattle, I could see that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of pressure from parents um, to get good grades, to be the best, to get into Harvard or Stanford. But yeah, I didn't see that as much within. And I think I attribute that actually probably to my parents' faith, like how they interacted with Christianity. Because I think they made that a priority over our like earthly achievements. Um, and the, the per, like the point of the tight-knit Chinese community I grew up in was we all went to the same church. And so I think that played a pretty significant part in them deciding like what they wanted to prioritize for us. We were also homeschooled. That's probably a big part. Um all of us are homeschooled. Um, maybe one or two of us attended private school, but 
Um, yeah, my parents chose to homeschool us from the very beginning, and then I was homeschooled all the way up to college. So I think that had a pretty big impact on how I perceived myself, how I perceived my education, um, as well as like how I interact with the world. Wow, so we're gonna come back to homeschooling. Okay. But how many siblings did you have? I have two. I have one older brother who just graduated from Baylor University, and then I have one younger sister who is a junior in high school. That still weirds me out. Yeah. Yeah. And so is she at public high school right now, or is she still homeschooled? She's homeschooled. She's attending community college. So all three of us attended community college. junior senior year so why why did your parents decide to homeschool that's a really good question i've been asked that a lot and i don't think i realized it until i went to college um first of all they weren't familiar with the american public school education system um so i don't think they trusted um public schools enough to send us out there and still have us be who they wanted us to be like have the same values and moral um like the same moral values as they wanted us to have. Um, I think they homeschooled us because of faith reasons. They wanted to be able to instill in us um, their faith. Yeah, so I think they really wanted a say in like how we perceived the world. Um, so even though they never pushed us to have like high grades, they definitely had a huge part in in how I perceive the world, because everything that I learned was always from a faith-based perspective. So history, science, math, like things that are fairly binary, like were always taught to me from a faith-based perspective. Um, And of course we had things like Bible and like religious studies and things like that more than we would have had in a public high school. Um, So yeah, I think at the end of the day, my parents chose to homeschool us because they wanted to make sure we got a Christian-based education. Um, and they were pretty sure that we couldn't find it in a public school system. Um, I think it was also important to my parents that they played a role in my life. They both came from fairly unique family situations where they didn't have both parents in the home growing up. Um, so neither of them have a picture of what a family should look like. Um, so I think it was important to them that we were raised with that idea of like our parents being heavily involved in our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's probably the biggest reasons why they chose to homeschool us. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. That's really interesting. So let's talk through this. So freshman year, you come in, your parents have been pouring into you for so long. Mm -hmm. It's been, and you get into college Mm -hmm. and you're from Washington originally Mm -hmm. and you're coming down to Oregon, which is three, four hours away. Yeah. And the world has to be completely new, right? In a way, yes. Oddly enough, I think in the moment it didn't seem that different. I think it's only in hindsight that I'm able to look back and be like, wow, like that was really different for me. But I think because because I was naive to the possibilities of different like worldviews or perceptions of the world, it just seemed like natural. Like, oh, I was at home. Now I'm at George Fox. Like, I don't think it was that big of a shift. And then like handling classes and interacting with adults and other peers wasn't that difficult because I had just come from community college. Um, And I think, oddly enough, (laughs) homeschooling taught me how to be more mature in ways. I think socially, like I knew how to interact with peers and I knew how to interact with people in authority in a way that would come across as if I was like fully there, you know? Like not uh, homeschooled. Yeah, that, that was a big thing that I got yeah. a lot freshman year. Like, uh-huh. I can't believe you were homeschooled. Um, 
I can't believe I like took that as a compliment. I was like, wow, what a trophy to have. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, it's because, I mean, you're kind of isolated a little bit, yeah. right? With just your yeah. siblings and your parents, but mm-hmm. you did get to experience community college and then mm-hmm. come in. It wasn't a huge transition, it sounds like. Yeah, it, it, it was. I definitely in the moment, it didn't seem like a huge transition. Um, I don't remember being afraid. I thought I would be, but I don't remember feeling afraid. Um, I'd say that the fear isn't something that I'd be like, oh, I am afraid of that person. I think it's like an underlying fear that prevents me from interacting with others freely. I think it's more of like a barrier that I put up rather than a, like, a, oh, I'm afraid to do anything because of it. It's more of like, a, I am like, I think I viewed myself as like set apart, like in my own little bubble and I need to protect myself and appear a certain way to other people. So when did you kind of break out of that bubble? Yes, that was a good question. Um, I actually would say probably through my freshman year friend group, um, there were eight of us on my freshman floor I don't even remember what we called ourselves. Pen two potatoes, I think, was what we called ourselves. Um, and we were all so drastically different. But different, I think different backgrounds, yes, different personalities. Okay. Mm-hmm. Different, very different personalities. I don't know why we became friends, um, but we were all very, very different people from extremely different backgrounds with very different lifestyles, mm. very different definitions of what we found to be fun. But I think I think they were the ones that, um, like, interacting with them was when it clicked in my head that, like, everybody else was just like me. Mm-hmm. That was the first time in my life that I had a friend group like that mm-hmm. um, because I spent 16 years of my life with the exact same Chinese kids growing up, right? And I had friends in community college or I had friends in, like, homeschool co-ops, but that was different. There were, like, people in, like, little segments of my life that I would see once a week or in community college, like, three times a week for an hour a day. Um this was the first time that I interacted on a daily basis, like went to every single meal with, spent every evening with, um, with a group of people from like such different backgrounds. And I think that's when it clicked for me um, that they were just the same as I was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think maybe at that point, I like reversed the other direction, like put my car in reverse and went really fast, um, where I was like, whoa, like I am so different and I want to be just like everybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, you felt that first when you Yeah. 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 Um, I did feel really odd and like very out of place because, because I had no idea what was going on. Um, so I think freshman year was a year where I like definitely went backwards where I was like, oh, now I need to fit in with everybody else. Now that I've discovered that like, there's different ways of interacting with the world. There's different ways of like existing. Like I want to fit in with that because I feel so like left out. I feel so out of place. Like my story doesn't fit in with anybody else's. Um, yeah, they called me baby Lydia because I was so naive. Mm. Um, yeah, I think that's when like the anger started and anger at myself because I knew that I was capable of playing, like playing a role essentially that I didn't feel like I actually fit into. So that's when I like started experimenting with like different masks, essentially, Mm. like different ways of presenting myself. Um, because it suddenly mattered to me a lot how other people perceived me. Mm-hmm. And so I think that ended up being fairly damaging as well because I really wanted to fit in. I really wanted them to accept me. Mm-hmm. And so as a result, I pretended to like things that I didn't like. I pretended to act a certain way that I didn't feel comfortable with. Um, I pretended to be somebody that I wasn't. Mm-hmm. 
Though, to be fair, I didn't know who I was, so that wouldn't have mattered anyway. Um, But yeah, I think that freshman year, that friend group is what shifted me into the real world in the sense that I recognized that other people were just like me, that other people weren't these scary strangers that lived their own lives that were so alienated from mine. Um, That, yeah, like people could believe different things, people could do different things and still be the same as like, they were still human beings. Um, so what would you have told yourself if you could go back? You're talking to first from What would you have said not being gone through it? I would tell her to chill. What do you mean by chill? Like, I took everything so seriously, dude. Oh, I, like, was thinking the other day about, like, really embarrassing situations. I, like, don't like thinking about freshman and sophomore year because I was just so cringy, Lane. It was so awkward and uncomfortable. The way that I would, like, talk to anybody. I don't uh, I would probably issue an apology to everyone I interacted with freshman year um, first, but I would tell myself to not take life so, so seriously. Though, to be fair, I understand why she did what she, she, I understand why Lydia did what she did and like why she responded the way she responded. But um, yeah, I would tell her not to take things so, so seriously. Like it's not the end of the world. I think, ooh, yeah, this was one of the turning points for me as well. Um, Long story short, um, my freshman floor became really close with a guy's floor in a different building, like another guy's freshman floor. So we spent a lot and a lot of time together. Um, I was bitter because I was naive. It was like my, like those guys were my friends first. And then all of my friends from Penn 2 like decided to come over because they all wanted boyfriends. And so I felt like they had stolen, like, my friends from me, you know? I was really mad at the girls because I was like, the guys are my friends. Why are you trying to date all of them? Very classic, like, oh, yeah. The way I describe it is, like, everything that everybody goes through in middle school and high school, I started going through in college. Like, that's kind of, like, the phase that I was, like, just kind of stuck behind. Uh, But I was just, like, bitter and, like, salty Um, until one day one of the guys um, pulled me aside and was like, hey, Like, you know it's going to be okay, right? And I was like, no, it's not. Like, they're taking my friends and they're ruining my friendships. This is a big deal. And he's like, it's okay. Like, it's okay for you. Like, it's okay for it to be a big deal for you. Um, He was a junior. And so he said, like, I just want you to know, like, I've lived through this. I'm a junior. We survived. It's going to be okay. Um, And that made a huge, huge impact on me. Um, But that was, like, a big turning point for me where it's like, oh, like, millions of people have like lived through college and they're okay like this drama this like temporary drama is like not the end of the world and so I think I would go back and tell Lydia like the things that are so like life or death to you right now like this boy girl drama doesn't matter this like drama with a professor doesn't matter getting a b on a test doesn't matter you know like I wish I could tell her to enjoy her life um so what would you have made the priority then because you don't want to yeah. say just like nothing matters, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, then, like, sure. What would you have told her to kind of focus on? I think I would have told her to focus on figuring out who she is. Like giving herself grace. Figuring out how to like herself. How do you do that though? How have you done that? Since? Yeah. I figured out how to like myself summer after sophomore year. I think it involved giving myself a lot of grace. I think, let's see here, it's a multi-step process. First, I had to acknowledge the things that I disliked about myself. Because I think 
it's easy to be like, oh yeah, like I don't really like myself. But to name the specific things, that's more difficult. Mm. So I think I had to figure out exactly what it was about me that I like didn't like or frustrated myself. Then I think I had to give myself grace and like figure out why those things about me existed. Yeah, so for example, something that I hated about myself summer after sophomore year was how seriously I took everything Mm -hmm. and like how I couldn't just let something go. Um, So once I acknowledged that about myself, I looked back into my life and was like, why? Like, why is it this way? And I realized, oh, it's because like I never dealt with this in middle school. I never dealt with this in high school. So of course this seems like a big deal to me. And I love people. Like I loved my friends and I loved my Woke cuts three friends like the I loved the the boys on that floor like they were important to me and they mattered and so that's why I took it so seriously because I didn't want anybody to get hurt um and so then once I recognized that that's why I responded the way I did then I gave myself grace and I said that's okay like that's why I responded the way that I did and now like looking back on it I know I overreacted I know it was like a big deal and it took up too much of my life and it was pretty insignificant in the long run, but like it mattered a lot to me in that moment. So it's okay for it to matter to me in that moment. And I'll just move on now. And I know that I won't overreact in that way again. And I know that it's not that big of a deal when somebody like sends a text message and says, I love you. Like, it's not that big of a deal. Um, It must be really funny for you to like hear me describe things that you probably went through in middle school, but that was the reality of my freshman year. Um, And that's why like, I think a lot of self-awareness developed between freshman and sophomore year where I was like, whoa, like other people aren't like this, but I am. And this is like embarrassing and awkward and frustrating um, because I can recognize that I'm this naive and like this intense about things, but I can't, I don't know how to like step back from that. Yeah. So then sophomore year, um, I lived in Florida for a summer doing research at Florida Tech. And that was the first time that I was like completely placed in a new environment where it's like it's, it wasn't a Christian environment. I didn't know anybody what was going on. Um, and like because we were doing research, like we were publishing research papers, it was like a very rigorous, like we were treated like grad students. And so it was like a very like high responsibility, like high stakes kind of thing. Um, and so when other people treated me like they believed I could do it. Like when people treated me with confidence, it was easier for me to treat myself with confidence as well. And then begin the process of, oh, here's the things that I disliked about myself, like actively naming them. Here's why I was the way that I was. And then giving myself grace and then figuring out like, next time this happens, here's how I move on. So I think that's probably what I would, I don't think it would have been realistic for Lydia to do that her freshman year because she didn't have enough life experience then to be like, okay, like this is why. Um, so it kind of took someone else coming in and saying, this is who I can see you being. Oh, yeah, right? for so sure. You kind of had to almost rise to the occasion mm-hmm. and rise up to be that person. Yeah, huh. yeah, for sure. That's a really good way of describing it. Um, so, I mean, coming back, though, to school, mm-hmm. you're still around those same group of people, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. they see you a certain way, even though you've changed and you've gained so much self-awareness. Yeah, right? yeah. So how is... How does that work? So that's a really good question. I think the summer after sophomore year coming back, um, for one thing, that friend group dissolved. Um, So I wasn't necessarily around the exact same group of people. Um, I think it mattered to me a lot that like important people in my life could see that I changed. So people like Holly or Chris, Mm -hmm. um, it was like really important to me that they 
recognized how I had changed. You think they did right away? Actually, oddly enough, yes. It's probably hard to tell when somebody changes if you're spending every single day with them, which Holly and I did for the first two years of college. But I think that summer, like having that space, gave me more room to come back and be like, I've changed and here's how. I think one of the ways that I changed, this might be a little meta, but I think one of the ways that I changed over that summer was I don't need to prove myself. Mm. Like I like the way that I am. And if nobody else recognizes it, I'm still going to choose to be okay with that Mm. because I no longer need how somebody else, like I don't need other people's perceptions to define me anymore. Like I figured out who I, not necessarily like who I am, but like I was on the path there and I knew it. Um, and I could have a pretty good idea of who I wanted to be, like a picture of who I wanted to be that I liked mm. as opposed to what I thought other people wanted me to like fit into. Um, so I think as a result, coming back to George Fox that fall, I wasn't, I wasn't bent over backwards trying to m- communicate to Holly that I had changed. I think she could tell in my behavior. Um, oh, wow, this is weird. Two nights ago, actually, Holly and I were talking about this. We asked each other how we had seen each other grow since freshman year. And she said something to me that, like, made me shook. She told me freshman year, I told her my favorite color was purple. And she told me sitting in the car two nights ago that freshman year she was thinking to herself, like, is that actually your favorite color or did somebody tell you that it was? And that hit me really hard. And I was like, whoa. This morning I was thinking about that and I remember distinctly the moment I chose purple to be my favorite color. I was like 12 or 13. And I chose purple to be my favorite color because I thought I needed to have a favorite color. And it was my friend's favorite color. And I wanted her to know that we had the same favorite color. And so since then, purple has been my favorite color. Mm. It's not my favorite color. Mm. But I realized that when Holly told me two nights ago and she she said something along the lines of like, like, that's how I've changed. Like, I can recognize that now that like something as simple as a favorite color was something I wanted somebody else to dictate for me because it mattered to me how other people perceived me so, so much. So when you came back from Florida. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think my friends were able to recognize that like my change of behavior, my change in attitude they treated me like the way that I wanted to be treated. Um, but I think I was lucky enough to be surrounded by people who gave me that room to grow and gave me the grace to change and continue to figure out what I wanted to be. Um, so did you kind of demand them to you know, treat you the way you wanted to be? Like, how did that? Yeah, I, I don't think so. It just kind of happened. It just kind of happened. I think, yeah, like I said, I think I was really, really lucky when it came to close friends because they like knew me well enough to know that I had been struggling with that kind of thing. Um, And so then when I started being my own person, they didn't necessarily actively make a decision, like sit me down for an intervention and be like, so here's A, B, and C, how we used to treat you, how we're going to treat you now. Like that didn't happen. I think they just, they knew me well enough to give me room to grow. So I like didn't have to say anything to them necessarily. I obviously had conversations with them about how Florida changed my perception of myself. How I was like, here's what I do like about myself. Like I like my ability to learn or I like my ability to love people. Um, And I think just like being able to communicate to them that I like myself was enough. 
Um, yeah, I don't remember them like actively choosing to treat me any differently. I think they were just willing to give me room to grow, um, which is why it's like important to me. Like if I were to give advice to my little sister as she goes off to college, just to like find those people. Um, and I got really lucky with Holly since freshman year. Um, to have someone who's that close for four years is like a huge, huge blessing. Um, so yeah, I I think I just got lucky with the people that chose to be my friends. <laughs> All right, so I want to go back to freshman year. Okay. And how'd you, what'd you come in as a major? Um, <laughs> I was technically undeclared, but I was elementary ed. So like scholarship right. competition and everything, I was elementary education. And why'd you pick that? Uh, I've always wanted to be a teacher. Um, I've always, always loved learning. I realized, I think sometime during freshman or sophomore year when I went home for a break, I was like looking through like my bookshelf and realized that like the storybooks I would read as a child, like before I go to bed, I would like read every night before I went to bed. Like the storybooks I read were actually history textbooks. Really? And like I had no idea because I thought they were so much fun. Um that's good parenting, I guess, for my parents to trick your kids into thinking that science textbooks and history textbooks are bedtime stories. Um, but yeah, I've always loved learning. And then something that was really, really fascinating to me as a kid was how like other people's brains would work. And so I would often picture myself, like I would pretend to be a kid. I mean, I was a kid. I pretend to be a younger kid. And I would like figure out how this concept would come across to them. Like if I were five years old, how would I understand two plus two? And so then as a kid, I would try to figure out like, if I were in their shoes, like how would I perceive this problem? How would I perceive this concept? And how could I best like communicate it to them in like their language so like they could understand? So my favorite thing to do when I was a kid was teach my little sister. And so like, my memory box is full of curriculum that I wrote as a 10-year-old, um, like spelling or history or like Bible, where I would literally make up like my own curriculum. Um, but I would try to picture it from my sister's perspective and be like, as a six-year-old, like, how would I try to memorize this verse? Like, as a six-year-old, how would like how would I like look at this picture and like understand it? Um so that was like really, really cool to me. So as a kid, like all I wanted to do was come up with like really neat ways of teaching things to other kids. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've always wanted to be a teacher. Um, when I was about 13, 12 or 13 years old, um, so my family's from Taiwan. Well, I mean, even though I was born here, everybody else is still in Taiwan. We travel back and forth about every other year. Um, and I had this one distinct interaction with, I think she might be like a distant cousin at this point. I We're all related somehow. But we were like in some old man's apartment in Taiwan um, and this kid walks in, she's like wearing her like school uniform, which like basically looks like pajamas in Taiwan. Cause like, you know, they all look the same. Mm-hmm. Um, she like walks through this apartment and she's like walk past the, um, so every home in Taiwan has this like altar kind of setup thing for like ancestor worship. Mm-hmm. Um, she like walked past it into her room. She was about my age. I'm like sitting there like on the floor, like thinking like, oh, this little girl is like walking to hell. Cause like nobody's here to tell her about Jesus. And that's how like my 12 year old brain worked. It was like, Oh, somebody needs to tell her about Jesus or else she won't have a chance. Um, so I think that's when I decided I wanted to come back to Taiwan and be a teacher and like wow. teach English. Um, 
very white savior-ish, but obviously 12-year-old Lydia didn't know that. All I could think about was somebody needs to tell these kids about Jesus or they're going to go to hell. So I actually started taking like college courses when I was 13 or 14 because I wanted to get out. Like I wanted to graduate high school, get my bachelor's in teaching, and then go back to Taiwan. So my life plan was like, I was a very, very driven child. My parents never pressured me to do anything. I pressured myself to do things. So I graduated high school when I was 16 years old. And at that point, I had like the college credits of I think a sophomore, maybe a junior, I don't remember. But I like I started taking college classes and college like tests since I was like 13. Um, the plan was for me to graduate with bachelor's by the time I was 18 and then move to Taiwan. Mm. Obviously hasn't happened. I'm still in America, in Newburgh, Oregon. <laughs> Didn't see this one coming. Um, but yeah, that was like my life plan. Um, and that's a whole nother story of how God flipped that upside down. But um, yeah, so I've always, always wanted to be a teacher. Uh, so that's what I showed up at George Fox University wanting to study. I want to, I want to, I mean, you said life plan, and I want to dig into that because I think, especially the phase we're at in life, where mm-hmm. there's so much external pressure and internal pressure yeah. that we create on ourselves to think we have to have a life plan, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And you know, as a believer and as someone strong in their faith, like you realize that God's plans are so much different than ours, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so. Can you just talk about that? How did he flip up yeah. your plans? Well, first of all, I think everybody is different. I think for me specifically, like I'm a very planning person, but that says something about me and how much I want control, how I worship control over my own life more than I worship God. So I think because of that, like it's important for me to acknowledge that God's plans are different from mine. I think everybody's different in that way. Like maybe somebody who's like, oh, go with the flow. Like maybe that's not as important to them. But I think for me, like that was very specifically, like very life changing. I forgot the question. Can you hear the question again? So I mean, I think you kind of hit on it as well is that we all want control mm-hmm. or we want certainty. We all have different words for it, right? Yeah. But we all want this just this idea that we know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. We want to know what the future, what's what's going to happen. And so it's just, but like you said, you have to understand that sometimes God has different plans for you mm-hmm. than what you want or what you think you have planned. Yeah. Out. It almost never happens the way that you think it's going to. Yeah. Yes. So just, so just how did you have that perspective to say, all right, my plans are changing after being so driven as someone, mm-hmm. you know, 12 or 13 year old wanting mm-hmm. to go to Taiwan. How did those plans, how did those plans shift? Yeah. Okay. So when I was four, 15, it was right before the start of senior year. We found out that I had temporomandibular joint disorder in my jaw, which meant I had to stay in the area for treatment, um, which completely blows apart my plans for Taiwan because it's just not practical to travel back and forth between Taiwan and the United States once a month. Um, so that severely limited my options. That's when my plans changed. Um, like right away? Yeah, because that meant, like for me, it was like fairly black and white. That means I have to stay in the Pacific Northwest for the next five years, which means I can't go to Taiwan when I'm 18 years old. Mm. Obviously, like I can go to Taiwan when I'm older, yada, 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 like whatever. But I think from a 15, 16 year old's perspective, like this was my life plan. This is everything that I've worked for. And now that it isn't happening on my timeline, I feel like my life has fallen apart purely because it's not happening on my timeline and not happening in the way that I thought it should. 
So I think that that was the moment when my plans shifted. Um, I was really angry at God because I thought that I had done this all for him. So I spent a lot of time yelling at him for basically being like, God, I did this all for you. Um, Like I wanted to tell kids about Jesus. Why couldn't you just let me get there the way that I wanted to? Um, Somewhere along the way, it had all become a pride thing. Um, I struggle with pride a lot. Um, What do you mean by pride? Like I am better than other people because I can do this and this and this. Um, I think my academic history causes me a lot of pride Mm. because it's fairly unique. So I have a question for you that you hit on. So you talked about that you can't, you know, minister to children, right? But could you still do that in the U.S.? Like, did that ever cross your mind? Um, Yes, it did. I think the reason I was angry at God wasn't necessarily that I wouldn't be able to be a teacher or I wouldn't be able to tell kids about Jesus. It was more of like, I spent so much of my time planning out exactly how this would go, and I did it all for God. So why couldn't he just let me keep my timeline? Why couldn't he let me stay in control of what I had planned out? Because my intentions were good, mm. supposedly. Um, so I don't think in the moment I was thinking about, oh, here's the alternatives. Like, oh, I truly want... Cause I think that was the thing. Mm. Was that at that point, when I found out about my TMJ, it was my heart was no longer about serving God. My heart was no longer about telling kids about Jesus. It partly was. It partially was. But I think it was mostly a pride thing. Mm. It was like... I told my friends I'm going to graduate, and I told myself I was going to move out of America when I was 18 years old. Um, and I don't like feeling like I don't know what's going to happen to me now. Because um, obviously, right before senior year, I had my plans all ready to go. Mm-hmm. That means I had to start over from scratch senior year, you know? Um, yeah, so I think that's why. I think that's why I was so frustrated is because my heart had changed I had become selfish. It was all about me, and it wasn't actually about God, but I didn't realize it. I thought it still was. So how could you have realized it, though? Because I think we all struggle yeah. with this, right? I don't think I could have realized it, yeah. Because like, it's so hard to have that that awareness yeah. of saying, wow, like I'm just doing this for selfish reasons. Yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah. It's just for myself when it's, yeah, it's, it's really hard to actually recognize that. Yeah, for sure. I don't think I could have had that awareness. So I don't think I would have like asked any differently of my 16-year-old self. Um, I think that was really important that I struggled with that then. Mm. Otherwise, I wouldn't have like realized like, oh, it's because of my pride that I'm so devastated. It's because of my lack of control that I'm like so shook. Um, when did you have this perspective though? Uh, <laughs> I mean, after I came to college, I think. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Um, That's like three years later, right? Yeah. Which is just, I mean, it's hard to think about just because, I mean, what we're going through right now, maybe we're struggling with something, and but the struggle is what created who you are now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Whoa. Yeah. But it took a long time yeah. to realize that and actually take it into perspective. Yeah. Hmm. I actually don't think I fully grasped the concept of letting go. I think it's so weird. Like when people are like, yeah, let go, like give God control of your life. Like, what does that actually mean? I, I have yeah. no idea what that means. I'm struggling with that right now. Yeah? Like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> um, I think I've, the only thing I've discovered over the last four years is that it looks different for every single person. So I've, like, I've done my part in, like, asking pastors or my mentors or, like, my friends, like, what does it mean to give God control of your life? 
But like because it looks different for everybody else, that's something I have to figure out on my own. But you're asking. That's I am asking. Step. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so important for sure. You could just bottle it up, right, and internalize it and not ever actually seek counsel or seek mm -hmm. wisdom. But that's yeah. not how you find answers. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I actually don't think I fully grasped what that meant until one year ago in March um, when I got an email saying that I had an internship with Amazon. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's the moment that I realized. Uh, that's the closest I've ever gotten to, to realizing what it means for God to be in control of my life. If you're about to ask me, I'm going to be nervous because it's hard for me to verbalize. Um, but I think that's the closest I've ever gotten. And then since then, it's been like, I think building off of that idea. Um, I am now going to try to explain what I mean. <laughs> um, okay, back up a little bit. So 15, 16, realized that like, oh, my plans are no longer going to follow through. I'm mad at God because I did this all for you. Um, go to George Fox University. Was really mad at my mom for making me go to George Fox because I had a 70% acceptance rate and it was Quaker. But then I showed up here and it's the best decision I've ever made. Best decision my mom's ever made, actually. Um, I think actually when I started college, my future like career wasn't that important to me, mostly because I like was undeclared for all of freshman year, so I didn't know what was going on. But it didn't like particularly matter to me. I think it started mattering to me junior, senior year. Your career? Yeah. What like. Yeah. Like what I meant for like God to be in control of that. Like for me to let go. I think that's when it started mattering to me more. And I think for me, I've, I think I've settled on the general definition of being, it doesn't mean I shouldn't hope. Like I can hope for things. I can hope for what will happen, hope for what I can do, hope for the impact that I'll make on the people around me, but I don't define myself by it. I think that's what it means for me to give up control. I think for so much of my life, I've defined myself by my achievements or like what I planned on doing. Mm -hmm. So like all of 13 to like 16, like my definition of who I was, was I'm going to be a teacher when I grow up in Taiwan. And that's it. Yeah. That's all you're talking about. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, Which isn't far off from what I think most of us think about, right? Probably, yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know, something in finance or something mm -hmm. in computer science, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, you know, or if I'm going to be the head of a church right? mm -hmm. or whatever. I mean, it can be anything, but if you think that's the only thing, it can be misleading. Yeah. Right? yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, I think that's that's what it meant for me. That's what it looked like for me to give up control. Is to stop defining myself by what I thought I was going to be. Uh, because through that, that means I open up the door to be anything or to do anything. I'm no longer restricted to one thing, like one career path or one way of life. Like I'm not tied to that. My identity is no longer tied to that. So that means that like whatever happens, happens. And I could be okay with that. Um I never planned for Amazon. So let's go back a little bit, freshman year. Okay. How'd you go from elementary ed to computer science, which is what you're studying now? Yeah. Um, I took a computer science class for fun. Mm -hmm. So my dad does like software support. So like as a child, I would like type on notepad because it like looked cool, you know, like the monospace font. And I was like, oh, this looks like dad's computer. 
Um, so I was always like fascinated by it. And I like took a mini course in community college that wasn't super intense. It was just like print hello world, basically that kind of stuff. Um, so I took a class for fun and then realized I was really, really good at it. Um, Joel asked me freshman year if I was good at what I did, or sophomore year. He asked me sophomore year if I was good at what I did. And that was the moment that I realized like, oh, I am. So then I declared computer science. Oh, wow. um, mostly, okay. <laughs> Not just because I was good at it. Um, because I was fascinated by it. Like my brain was mind blown by how problem solving worked. Because like as a kid, I would like try to figure out how to teach somebody something. Mm-hmm. But that's a very, it activates a different part of your problem solving brain than like figuring out how to solve like an algorithm or like how to code an algorithm um why did I switch to computer science yeah so I took a class for fun um and I took the I took CS202 which is like the follow-up class for fun again the following semester and at this point the professors are like asking me to consider like why aren't you declaring as a computer science major and the entire time in my head I'm like well I'm gonna be an English teacher so like how does this help me um that's probably actually where the beginning process of like letting go of my future career started where it's like oh there's multiple ways of like doing what I want to do that's kind of cool and so I decided to like okay I'm good at this I like how this makes my brain hurt um and this can probably get me to a teaching position sometime in the future so why not um I was actually also considering social work at the time um and my my CS professor was like, well, you can still serve people as a computer science major. I was like, whoa, what? Um, so that's when I decided to. Really selling you. Yeah. Yeah. He also threw the salary thing at me. And I was like, ah, oh, I can't help it. Money does sound nice after graduation. Yeah. So, yeah, I switched. That's interesting. So you had to research. Yeah. Internship. Yeah. That summer. And then yeah. how did you land on Amazon? Um... I don't know. <laughs> Let's see here. I started applying for internships fall of my junior year. Um, I was offered two different internships in the Portland area. Oh, wow. I forgot all this happened. I was offered two internships in the Portland area, one at TZ Medical and one at Tektronics. When I decided to submit my, submit my resume for fun to Amazon... At this point, I don't think I realized the reputation that Amazon had. I just thought of it as like, actually, maybe I did. It was like, you know, Google, Microsoft, Amazon. Like, those are the big names that a computer science major could go for. But I never thought of myself as being able to achieve that. Um, Why? Because I was behind everybody else. Um, I actually dropped out of computer science my sophomore year. Because I, I like... Did. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, yeah, I Like, I, I had a C in data structures. Freaked out. Weed out class. Yep, the weed out class. Yeah. Freaked out. Um, was like, oh, everybody else seems to know something that I don't. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the mentality that I had in computer science. It's like everybody came out of the womb coding. Yeah. And I just joined my yeah. the end of my freshman year. Well, I mean, a lot of them do in high school, right? Yeah, I mean, a yeah. Lot of them do mm-hmm. these coding competitions and they come yeah. in and they already know all these languages. So it can be... Yeah, it can yeah. <laughs> seem like they do. Yeah, I was really, really intimidated. Um, so then, yeah, sophomore year, when I got a C in data structures, I was like, I'm out. So I dropped data structures and pieced out of there. Um, then, obviously, the research internship brought me back to computer science. But I was still like, imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I don't know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, I submitted my resume to Amazon for fun. Um, and then as time went on... Um, Junior year, a lot of things happened back at home that resulted in me feeling 
severely homesick. And that's like never happened to me before. Um, I had never experienced homesickness or like wanting to be with my family before. Um, just through a series of events that happened back at home and a series of events that happened at school, like all of a sudden I got really, really nostalgic. It was like separation anxiety for like a season of my life, but I was really sad because I could never have it again. And I thought the closest thing I could have was just going back to Ken Washington, mm. like the physical place mm. where I like, f- like could fulfill that feeling of nostalgia uh, or like being safe and comfortable, just like seeing my family, knowing they're okay. And then just like being away from George Fox. Um, so that's what Amazon represented to me. Like if I could get this like coveted Amazon internship, I get to go home. So like, I don't think I recognized Amazon as like, oh, stepping stone for my career or like, oh, Amazon is a big name I could have on my resume. Like for me, Amazon represented going home. Um, and that actually tied back to my faith. Mm. Like I literally begged God to let me go home. Wow. Um, so did you live at home during the summer? I did. Wow. It was great. Um, so I applied for a ton of internships up in the Seattle area. Um, but the only two that accepted me were TZ Medical and Tektronics in Beaverton. Um, and so I started reconciling myself. I think that's that's why I say like that's where it started um, for me, like the idea of like letting go. Because that's where I was like, I'm going to be okay if I stay here. Mm-hmm. If I stay here, that means there is a reason God wants me to stay here. Yeah. Um, it's like the active... The active decision to choose to believe that there's a reason why I am where I am that I think like allowed me to give up control. Um, so yeah, I would say that's probably where where like letting go of my control started was the like realization, oh, maybe I won't get to go home even though I've like, I've never wanted anything so badly. Like I'm still genuinely shocked how badly I wanted to go home. Um but yeah, that like heavily tied back to my faith where I was like, God, please let me go home because um, I don't want to be here right now. I'm like sad um, and I want to know everything's okay. Um, so I had like reconciled myself, like fully been like, I'm okay with. So I accepted the TZ medical internship um, when I got an email from Amazon that said, we want to interview you for part one. So I took part one of the assessment, nailed it, let myself hope. They emailed me back, said, okay, we're going to interview for this, like, give you the second assessment. I took the second assessment, and that, like, knocked me out. Like, not just because it was difficult, but because it called into question everything that I, like, was afraid of about believing. Like, I'm not adequate. I'm not good enough. And then I blamed myself. Like, I am going to be the reason that I don't get to go home. Mm. Like, this is all my fault. Like, I'm not good enough to go home like I can't pass this assessment therefore I won't get the Amazon internship therefore I don't get to go home for the summer um so it was just like hitting upon all of my inadequacies that I really struggled with I remember calling my mom so two things I never do call my mom and cry those are like two things I never do that night I called my mom and I cried and I told her that I missed her that was like the first time that I think I've ever said to her my mom recently told me that I say I love you to her a lot. And then I realized I, I I didn't grow up like hearing my parents say I love you to each other or to us. And I never said I love you to my parents or to my siblings. Um, but yeah, like that night I like told her I loved her. I told her I missed her. And I think that was like a big moment for me. Like I wanted to go home so bad and I couldn't like I fail. I couldn't do it on my own. That was like the moment that I realized like there's no way that I could get home on my own. And that like really frustrated me and made me really, really sad. 
And then a couple days later, they emailed me and said, we want you, to, we want to interview you for like the third assessment, which is like a phone interview. So at this point, like I am drained. Like it feels like I've been in a battle where it's like I'm constantly like given hope and then like having the hope being taken away because I'm inadequate. And then also trying to balance like, oh, but I already reconciled with God. Like I already like said, I'm okay. I'm at peace with staying here. Um, so trying to balance all of that. And then they're like, third assessment. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. So um, I had a phone interview. Worst interview of my life. Like everything that could have gone wrong went wrong. Like um, like the phone call kept dropping. The Wi-Fi was bad. I told them that X plus X was X squared. It was just like a lot. Of, <laughs> like a lot of things went wrong. I couldn't pronounce his name. I couldn't understand what he was saying. Um, so I walked out of that interview like completely drained. Um, and at this point, like, like if I ever believed like Satan used things to attack me, like that, that was it. Mm. Like Satan hardcore used that. Like I was like, I am not worth, like, I'm just like inadequate. Mm. I can't even like pass this assessment and it's all my fault that I don't get to go home. Um, I don't think I blamed God. I think I was at the point where it's like, okay, like God, I'm like willing to stay here, but like I wanted to go home so, so badly and I couldn't do it on my own. Um, Bunch of other things happened that week, not related to that, but basically ended up in me being very, very drained. Um, I rem- And then that weekend, we went to staff retreat for Res Life. Mm-hmm. I remember like getting out of the car and then like blacking out in Emily Holder's arms. <laughs> I don't think she realized I passed out I, in hindsight, <laughs> but like I was so, so drained, just like emotionally and physically um, and just full of sadness, like deep, deep grief that I wouldn't be able to go home. Um So all of staff retreat, my staff was out doing staff things and I was sleeping. Like I literally slept the entire night, the entire day because I was so drained. And I remember um, on March 9th, I don't know why I remember that date so specifically, but like they were all out. Like the sun was like blazing. I like woke up really disoriented. It was like 3 p.m. in the afternoon. I like look at my phone. It's like, congratulations from Amazon. And I was like, what? (laughs) And like I read the email like over and over again. And I'm so disoriented because I've been like sleeping for like 24 hours and I was like, this is a dream. Like, and I'm completely alone in this house on the beach because everybody else is gone. And I'm like, what's happening? And I, I call my sister and I'm like still disoriented. I'm like, Abigail, I'm coming home. And she's like, so what? And I was like, I don't think she understood like how much that meant to me. So that's how I got the internship with Amazon. To this day, I have no idea like how or why. Like I've been interviewed so many times because of Amazon. Like marketing is always wanting to know like what did you do i have no idea like i can honestly sit here and be like i worked my butt off for that i worked so so hard but at the end of the day like i was so inadequate like Mm -hmm. i couldn't measure up Mm -hmm. um that was like completely god like it was all god i don't think i talk about god in that way very much because i hate sounding cliche and i'm like very afraid of being fake and disgenuine but i don't know how else to explain it besides Mm -hmm. like i made the decision to let god take control of what happened with my summer Mm -hmm. um and then beyond that like he obviously wanted me at home for some reason. Um, and he obviously wanted me at Amazon for some reason. Um, yeah, so I struggle now when people are like, oh, you worked at Amazon or like, oh, let's interview you because you know how to get in. Like that wasn't like that wasn't me. And like, I don't know. And that like wasn't even the highlight of my summer. Like working for Amazon, that's pretty cool. But like for me, it represented God's faithfulness that he let me let go of that idea of being able to go home and then brought me home anyway, just in time for like some pretty significant things in my life. So yeah, I like don't know how to separate that internship at Amazon from like the concept of God's faithfulness and his loyalty. Um, 
and his general sense of humor. Like, why would he do that to me? But he did it anyways. Um, he like, let me get to like the bottom of like my, like I ran out of gas, dude. Like I struggled with inadequacy and worthlessness so, so much. Cause I tied that directly to my ability to get this internship at Amazon. So you waited until I was like completely gone. And then he was like, yeah, we'll let you go home. So that's yeah, insane. that's kind of how it worked out. That's such a crazy story. Yeah. So I want to take that and I want to lead into the start of this year because we've had a conversation about mm -hmm. this too. Yeah. And how much just being at Amazon, the way that they saw you mm -hmm. as well and who you could be really shaped you. Oh, yeah. Can you talk on that? Absolutely. Um, oh, I loved working at Amazon. They treated me as if they believed I was fully capable of doing whatever they assigned to me. Mm. Um, and that's how my professors have treated me here too. But it's a little bit different when you're in the real world working for <laughs> totally. Amazon. <laughs> um, yeah. I would say that Amazon is the first place. Um, because if if Florida Tech was like the process of figuring out who I was, Amazon is like where I was able to be that person that I figured mm. out. Um, and I really liked it. Like I didn't have to be fake. I didn't have to pretend to be somebody else. They chose me already, so I didn't feel the need to prove myself necessarily. Um, so I liked who I was. Um, and also at this point, I like did recognize like my faith does make me different because it shows in my behavior and how I treat other people. And that's like a really cool thing to notice in the workplace. I think I was told a lot over the summer, like, oh, you're different. Like, why are you happy? And I'm like, I don't describe myself as a happy person, but like they could tell there was something different about me. And those were like the cool things that I like, like to hear. Like, it's nice to hear that my code works, but it was like more important to me that they recognized I was different. Wow. Um, so yeah, I think because of that, like they treated me with confidence. They treated me like as a member of the team. Um, and I liked who I was there. And so I think as a result, like I could say to myself, like, oh, who I was there, like I'm confident that I'm able to like be that in the future. So I don't, I'm not afraid of who I am anymore. Like I'm not afraid of like my inadequacies because like <laughs> working for Amazon brought out a lot of my inadequacies, but I didn't like tie them to my, like my self-worth like I used to. It was just more like, as soon as I hit a bump, they were like, let's figure out how to make this better. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'd say that's probably how it how it's shaped me coming into senior year. That's awesome. So I have a question for you mm -hmm. on that. Let's say you didn't get the Amazon internship. Mm -hmm. How would you have still, what would you have told yourself or how would you have approached life to still feel that self-worth, mm -hmm. right? And not the validation of, you know, such an amazing company like that can do yeah um so if i didn't get amazon i would have worked at tz medical i think the important thing was that i did reconcile myself to working there like i had fully mentally prepared myself to work at tz so i don't think much would have changed i think going into tz would have been pretty similar like they would have treated me the same way i would have been working in a real like real cs environment right and not just doing homework so I don't know that it would have been any different. Um, I think if I had gotten TZ that, that the reason would have been God wanted me in that office surrounded by those people. And I think it would have been a similar outcome. I think the only difference is that like Amazon brought out sides of me that I didn't know existed. Like, you know, the competitive, like cutthroat, yeah. that side I didn't know existed. I don't know that I would have gotten that at TZ Medical. But um, I think the result would have been similar. And so... I actually have never thought about the what ifs. Um, 
It's always hard to speculate. I was just curious yeah. if you had. Yeah, I I don't think anything would have been different, to be completely honest. I think I walk, I would have walked away from that summer with the same level of self self-worth. Um and I think I would have it would have removed my doubt of ina- inadequacy as well. Um just because great people work there. Mm-hmm. Like they're pretty fantastic. Um but yeah, I, I think it would have been a pretty similar experience. I think the only thing would have been I probably would have had a crisis midsummer where I was like, God, I really, really wish you would have let me go home. Um, but I think because I was like able to reconcile that like right at the beginning, I don't think that would have shaken my faith or my self-worth very much. Maybe a little bit, but I don't think it would have damaged me a whole ton. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. All right, so I want to transition senior year now. Ah, uh, okay. We're in. Okay. Nice. So you decided to be an RA. I did. And so for people, explain what an RA is. Yeah. For people that don't know. Yeah. And then so. also... Why, why do you decide to be an RA? Okay, sounds good. <clears throat> so RA is a resident assistant. Um, so res life at George Fox University looks like every floor or like little house or apartment area has one older brother or sister kind of figure. Mm-hmm. Um, there's like two parts to being an RA. There's like the rule enforcer where you like write people up, make sure people aren't being loud. Um, make sure that they follow the rules and that they're safe. Um, and then there's like the re- like the reporting aspect where it's like you make sure your residents are like physically safe, mentally safe, emotionally. Um, it's a lot of triaging. Like once a problem arises, you direct it up to people who can handle it. And then the other half that George Fox is more unique for is like the relational aspect. That's something they really encourage in their RAs is that you do play like brother, older brother, sister role emotionally as well, where they're like somebody your residents can come to, somebody that cares for them on a deeper level than just like you check them off on a box when they show up. Um, so that's that's kind of the, the job description of an RA. Um, so I am an RA in Newland, which is sophomore. So I have about 25, 27 girls that are sophomores, a couple juniors, a couple seniors. Um, I chose to reapply to be an RA because I wanted my story to mean something. I don't think my story would be meaningless if I didn't share it with anybody. I think my story does mean something, but I wanted it to intersect with somebody else's story in a meaningful way. I think I, I think everybody has a really unique life story. Um, and what I want to do with mine is see how it fits in with other people's or how it relates to other people's or how it like informs their story as well. Like their life trajectory, um, just like experiences that I've had, if sharing them with somebody else helps them in any way, like then I would feel like fulfilled. And I realize there's so many different ways to do that. And I've been involved in a lot of different, like really cool positions, like opportunities, since freshman year, but I think the RA position is one that I find really unique. I did it last year as well for upperclassmen, which is a totally different ballpark. Um, But I think that I chose specifically to share my story through being an RA because you get a lot of exposure to people all at once. Um, Being a peer advisor was cool, but I only saw my advisees like once a week. Uh, Being a spill intern was cool, but I only interacted with them like for three or four hours once a week as well. Um, But being an RA, like it asks a lot of you. Mm -hmm. Um, It asks a lot of my time, a lot of my emotional energy. Um, And that's like the type of thing I wanted to give up for for this. Um, It also helped me grow a lot. Like being an RA last year, like, wow. Like I grew a lot, a lot. Mm -hmm. So I think I wanted that kind of opportunity again is to engage in that kind of growth and be able to assure myself like, 
this is where my life experiences have led me and they're worth sharing with other people. And they've like created who I am today and I'm capable of like leading people. I'm capable of caring for other people. Like there's something about me that's worth like sharing or like able to take care of other people in this way. So I think a combination of that and then like wanting to care for people specifically as an RA, like that led me to choose to reapply. Um, I don't know that I would do it again. <laughs> it's been a wild year for Newland, um, for George Fox in general. And it's taken up a lot, a lot of my time. Um, but I am grateful that I did it. But yeah, that's kind of why I chose to be an RA again. It's amazing. Amazing. So this has been awesome. And I just want to highlight kind of what what's your mindset going in? What's your mindset going into after graduation? Yeah. <sighs> First and foremost... I want to be a Christ follower. I think everything else stems from that. I think the idea of like success is really cool to me now because I can actually have it. What do you mean by success? Like worldly success, money, fame, achievements. Like I had a taste of that at Amazon and I was told that I could do whatever I wanted to do and I believed them. Um, in the last couple of months have been like wrestling with that idea of like, is it okay for me to think of myself that way? Is it okay for me to dream that way if it's like so selfish? But I think I've come to the conclusion that like, I know I'm a Christ follower and like whatever I do stems out of that. Whatever I, it needs to stem out of that. Um, have you thought about putting guards up for that? What do you mean? So something I've struggled with too, mm -hmm. right? It's so the worldly things in the way that our life is right now is that we're kind of smooth sailing a little mm -hmm. bit, right? We both have jobs lined up and the world's providing us a lot of different things yeah. where it can become easy to rely on those and not rely on God, mm -hmm. right? Are yeah. you afraid of falling into that trap? So afraid, okay. very, very afraid. Um, I had this moment, um, my, my family didn't have a lot of money growing up. Um, like we were fine. But I had this moment at the end of the summer when I looked into my bank account and had the weirdest feeling in the world. It was like, I could do whatever I want with this. It was like more money than I'd ever seen in one place in my entire life. And I was like, I did this? Like, I can spend this and do whatever I want. Um, that was a weird moment for me. I was like, whoa, like, why do I feel so gross and selfish, but like good? Like, that's what scared me is that I really liked that feeling. Um, so no, I'm very afraid. Like I'm afraid of like falling into the trap of being self-sufficient. I'm afraid of becoming complacent. I'm afraid of becoming apathetic mm. towards things that I know actually matter to me. Maybe afraid is not the right word to use anymore. Mm. I think I'm at a place where I like, I am wary of it. I'm aware of it. Aware. Yeah. Um, I'm aware of it enough to try to avoid it, mm. but I'm not, I'm, my life isn't run by the fear of that happening. Um, I think right now where I am, it's, it's enough to be aware and it's enough to actively work against it without being afraid of it. Um, so maybe afraid was the wrong word, wrong word to use, but yeah, no, I, I, I am aware that like I can fall very easily into that trap. Um, cause I know that's not where I want to be. I know that won't bring me any fulfillment and I know that won't make me happy. Um, I know what I truly want. It's like, I, I it's weird. Like being a Christian, you know, you want to be close to Christ, but you don't, you don't often follow through on it, you know? Mm. Like, I find myself asking God to, like, want to want to read my Bible. Just because it's like, I know I do, 
but I don't often like have the motivation to follow through with it. So I think that's like what, what I'm thinking of as I'm graduating is like, if I have that foundation of like Christ, like it's going to be okay. You know, like I obviously like want to become somebody important. I like want to like make a lot of money and provide for my family. Um, I don't think that's inherently bad. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, it's definitely not. Yeah. I think, I am comforted by knowing that if I have my foundation strong enough, then like it won't lead me down the wrong path, if that makes any sense. So what was your question again? I don't even okay, sick. <laughs> um, yeah, post-graduation, if I could sum it up. I'm not very good at summing up, but we'll try. Um, what about friendships, Holly? Oh, Sam yeah. Morgan. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're going up to Seattle. Uh, <laughs> Actually, yeah, that is something I am worried about. What do you mean by worried? You pointed out earlier that a lot of myself, like, growth has come from somebody else pouring into me and then me stepping up to it. So I'm not quite sure what I'm going to do when I'm not surrounded by that kind of community anymore. So you're going to have that professionally, right? Yeah. But it's different. It is very different. So yes. I mean, that's, there's more rings, right? And that's so like meaning you have, you know, your professional, your career, your work, you have your relationships, mm-hmm. right? You have your faith, you have your health, mm-hmm. you have your mental health as well, right? And the way I've always thought of it is that I don't just want to make a lot of money or live a successful career. Like I want to live a successful life, mm-hmm. right? And just like you highlighted, having people that will call you up to that. So you're going to, being at Amazon, you're going to have people that call you up professionally, mm-hmm. right? And now yeah. it's recognizing saying, who are the people that are going to call me up relationally yeah. and with my faith? Mm-hmm. And what is, those communities can be intertwined. Like maybe you can find, you know, some of your best friends at Amazon yeah. that also, you know, follow the Lord and also, I don't know, care about staying healthy and not just working yourself to death, mm-hmm. right? You can kind of find all that, but maybe yeah. it's, you know, a little bit at Amazon, it's a little bit at church, it's a little bit still of your family, whatever it is, but it's kind of creating this holistic mm-hmm. environment and circumstances yeah. that call you up, you know, to who you want to be as a person. Yeah. Right? Not just Lydia Tala working at Amazon. You know what I mean? Any yeah. of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with all of that. Um yeah, I think the main thing about like community or like friendships afterwards does have to do with my faith because it's so different from like what my parents it looks very different from my parents obviously your faith is different than their Mm -hmm. parents Mm -hmm. or like the way the way that we perceive our faith is very different Mm -hmm. and so obviously like my home church is obviously different too because that's where my parents go um i like don't want to become stagnant in my faith afterwards Mm -hmm. i could picture that happening if i like don't find a community fairly quickly so like yeah i'm i'm like I don't know. I haven't met a single senior who's not worried about friendships after graduation. Like, we're all worried about it, you know? And I think it's, like, not just because we have to, like, start over. Like, not... It's not just because we don't have... Like, have to go out and find new friends. Like, George Fox has such a tight-knit community. It almost feels like, like, we're stepping away from that community and having to find new friends. Like, that's, like, doubly hard, you know? So, I think that part, I'm, like not prepared for yet like that's something i'm still trying to think through i was terrified of graduation like commencement because i would like be running around trying to say goodbye to like all these people and be hectic and terrifying i mean 
might not happen, but um, like that's the kind of like vibe I'm walking away from, you know? So I think I'm a little bit worried about like what friendships look like after George Fox. Mm -hmm. um, because you can talk to people on the phone, you can text them, but it's not the same as living in the same space and doing life with them. Yeah. But I think it's an important part of like graduating. Mm -hmm. It's like if your chat, like if this chapter of your life is ending, like it's nice to have such a clear ending. Mm -hmm. Because now, like, we're prepared to go out and find that community for ourselves. I don't think the point of George Fox was for us to come and find community here solely. I think the point of George Fox is so that we come here and learn how to find community. Yeah. So that we do, That's we have it here, yeah. but they're preparing us to go find it out there and not to just have it here for the rest of our lives. Have you seen The Office? I've seen episodes, not the whole thing. Okay. Um, do you know who Andy Bernard is? Yes. Okay, he's, like, the guy that's, like, constantly stuck in his past and, like, always being, like, I went, I don't remember what school he went to. Whatever. But he, he like, went to, like, this Ivy League school and, he's like, that's all he can think about. And, like, that's the only thing. He's, like, this 40-year-old man working yeah. in a paper office. Yeah. And that's, like, all he can think about all he can talk about is, like, how, like, what he did in college or, like, his college friends. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be like that, mm -hmm. you know? As much as this community and this school means to me, like, I want to keep in mind that this school prepared me to go out and find a community to build that community instead of being stuck back here mentally forever. It's so. Yeah, <laughs> so beautiful. And I think exactly, there's a couple of things, like, just like you said, learning mm -hmm. to build community. I think that's one of the points of college is not actually to give you everything you know, mm -hmm. but to help you understand how to learn yeah. how to get what you want yeah right and that's whether that's in classes whether that's relationships that's community that's your faith i mean it, it's college is helping you learn how to be able to learn mm -hmm. yeah all these kind of things i think that's beautiful yeah yeah well lydia anything else um no i think that's it thank you so much for your thank time you. this was <laughs> i learned so much more about you really about life about your journey. I mean, thank you so much. Thank yeah. you. And that wraps up this episode of the Grasping Life podcast. I really hope you guys enjoyed it. Feel free to subscribe for new episodes. And if you got any value out of this, feel free to share it with someone else who might as well. I would love to connect with you on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn if you search for Lane Kimbrough. And it would make me super happy if you wanted to chat about it on the phone. My number is 720-625-2905. And I'd love to hear from you. Thanks again. Until next time.